I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome to Inside Sources. This is Mara Carabello with Taylor Morgan here. We'll introduce ourselves in a second, Taylor. We're filling in for our Boyd Matheson. We are. It's great to be back. And as our listeners know, Boyd digs a little deeper, thinks a little bigger, explores a little wilder. We're going to... Wider? We're a little gonna wilder? Take, a little wilder. We that was We can go us. there. Perhaps today that'll be us, right? Yeah. So yeah. we're going to take up that charge for um, Boyd and explore some topics. Again, um, I'm Mara Carabello. I have a public policy firm in Salt Lake. We're hitting our 20th year. Taylor and I are colleagues. Sometimes we're on the same side. Sometimes we're on different sides. Yes. And nice. I enjoy working with you and against you. Yes, exactly. uh, It's always fun to to talk about the issues and have different perspectives. And uh, you were saying just before we started the show that sometimes you and I are talking in the break (laughs) and before we're on air, we're talking about some of the the news of the day or the political issues and kind of comparing notes between different clients, maybe when we're on the same side or different sides of an issue. And, you know, we kind of sometimes get lost in those conversations. We get a little wrapped up in those conversations. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll just put those on air. Yeah. Uh, We'll just talk. (laughs) Yeah. We'll just talk. I don't know if people are ready for that quite yet, though. I don't think they're ready. We are going to start the Inside Sources show today, though, with a big topic. Um, It's the Senate gun bill. So this will be, if it is passed, this will be a rather historic occasion in which we have found consensus in in the United States at a federal level on any kind of gun legislation. And we have an expert here to talk us through it, which is terrific. He's been following this story since the beginning. He's been on the cutting edge. It's Mike DeBonis. He is a congressional reporter with The Washington Post. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So it looks like um, this bill is teed up for a passage. First, take a minute uh, to tell us about the process. I know some, particularly some Republicans, have criticized the process. Um, where are we with how this bill came to be? Yeah. So um, you know, this bill is a few weeks in the making. You know, the, the talks that produced it got started immediately after the uh, shooting, the May twenty fourth shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, that left, you know, the 19 school children dead and two teachers. Um, a small group of senators came together uh, to, to lead those talks, led by John Cornyn of Texas, Chris Murphy of Connecticut. Um, and, you know, they came together uh, earlier this month on a set of principles, and then it took them another week, 10 days, to turn that into an actual bill. And we finally saw that actual bill uh, yesterday, last night, Um and almost immediately, Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, uh, 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 scheduled a procedural vote to start the process of getting that bill going. So there were some uh, a number of senators, particularly Republicans, who said they were moving too fast. You know, they took this procedural vote just literally just a couple hours after the, the bill was released. 
but the you know the, the essentials of the of the the principles that of what the contents of the bill would be had been out there for more than a week uh, before that, and um, that procedural vote advanced. It got 64 votes. You need 60 in the Senate to pass anything uh, of significance, and it it, it uh, got over that threshold, and, uh, and things seem to be on a glide path for this thing to to pass. Perhaps as soon as tomorrow, it might take them as long as Saturday, but uh, it, 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 it does seem to be on a trajectory to pass later this week. Yeah, so the vote last night, uh, 64 to 34, I believe, uh, that is that seems to be pretty broad support uh, for this uh, gun reform package. Uh, how, how do you think conservatives, uh, those that voted against the bill, uh, what are their concerns generally what are you hearing we've seen some process type arguments that this is being rushed uh do you think that those are credible uh or is this just uh some conservatives using uh you know claiming this is being rushed as an excuse not to vote for it yeah i mean there's a variety of reasons i mean i've talked to a lot of senators today there are a lot of process concerns but you know there there are certainly substantive concerns about the sub you know the, the bill particularly as it for conservatives as it relates to Second Amendment rights. Um, you know, to be clear, what, what this bill does is, is relatively modest vis-a-vis what President Biden has called for. We, you know, he gave a speech in the aftermath of Uvalde calling for bans on high-capacity magazines, raising the age of to buy uh, from 18 to 21 to buy rifles and shotguns. You know, things that, that are very clearly antithetical to gun to the gun rights community um the things that are in this bill are quite a bit more modest than that it's a, it's a special new background check process for gun buyers who are under 21 uh it's you know some you know new restrictions on dom- domestic violence offenders uh it's uh you know clarifying the definition of who's a federal firearms dealer and who needs to be running background checks on their customers yeah um, and there's these red flag law, you know, these grants that can be used for red flag laws. I mean, the, the, these are not nothing in here is a ban of a weapon, but it is, you know, these are things that, you know, if you are a stalwart defender of the Second Amendment, you can certainly make the argument that this is chipping away at rights that are currently enjoyed. Right. Um, and and, then, and none of know, these I was just going to point out, Mike, I apologize, but let me, I just want to weigh in and say that none of these provisions are new or groundbreaking, right? These are all uh, conversations and, and policy ideas that have been discussed for for decades. And essentially, this legislation is breaking, you know, a 30-year logjam, right, on gun reform, essentially. So yeah, n- nothing's and, and, really you know, no, new here. Yeah, the, the thing people need to understand about Capitol Hill is very, nothing ever comes out of nowhere. You know, some of these ideas yeah. have been been pitched for a long time, you know, the so-called boyfriend loophole on domestic violence. Um, that's been around for, for, for a number of years now. It almost got into the Violence Against Women Act reauthorization that right. happened earlier this year. Um, the, the federal firearms dealer um, licensee definition, Murphy and Cornyn had talked about that at length last year, um, and it was sort of put on the shelf. And what happens is, you know, these these ideas get talked about, they get debated behind in, in, in public, behind closed doors, and often they do get put on the shelf for the moment when it's right. And what happened is after Uvalde is, you know, 
people got together and they started looking at what's been put on the shelf and saying, what mm-hmm. can we take off the shelf, put into a bill, and, and move forward on a bipartisan basis. And that's pretty much what happened. Here. So as bills move to this stage where they're starting to be um, openly debated with the body, uh, funding comes up. Um, a lot of these appear to be statutory or recommendations. Are there funding um, is, is there funding associated or programs that will have a bill that needs to be paid for? Yeah, there there is funding. I mean, there's there's a lot of money that's being uh, sort of identified here from uh, mental health programs in particular and some school security needs. Um, the, the informal estimate is $15 billion. They don't have a formal uh, estimate from the Congressional Budget Office. But, um, you know, you know, this is paid for in the sense in when, when on Capitol Hill, people say things are paid for when it's offset by right. not spending it on something else. And what they did here is they delayed uh, a Medicare uh, rebate decision that had happened in the Trump administration. Um, doing that, you know, creates this sort of accounting savings of about $20 billion. And that's what's being used in this case. We are talking um, to know, we'll, Mike. Oh, sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say there's no new taxes or anything. They're basically delaying a, a another policy decision to offset the cost. We're speaking with Mike uh, DeBonis, a congressional reporter at The Washington Post. I just want to make sure, Mike, our listeners know uh, with whom we're speaking here because you are covering this issue in depth and uh, you are, uh, you know, boots on the ground there. Uh, you know what is actually happening on the Hill. Mike, what are the next steps uh, for this legislation? Well, we, there's a couple more procedural votes that have to happen. You know, the first one will happen tomorrow, and that's that's really the key vote. It's it's the vote to close debate. It's on a 60-vote threshold. Uh, if you get past that, the rest of the votes are majority votes. Um, so, you know, we're expecting the, the vote count we saw yesterday in that in that initial vote, the 64-34, to hold pretty fast. Uh, there's a chance they may add another Republican or two onto the 14 who um, voted yesterday. Uh, one person who supports the deal, Pat Toomey, was not present to vote yesterday. He may be back. And then, you know, there's a couple more who said they just didn't have time to read the bill and didn't want to vote to proceed and, and left open the possibility that they could come aboard. So, but, you know, if we if they get past that that initial procedural vote tomorrow, the 60 vote margin, um, this thing is very much on a path towards passing. We just have a quick second left um, from watching these bodies for years. Mike, do you think that this bipartisanship will uh, will have a rippling effect? Do you think that this is a change of tone or is this just a moment in time after Uvalde? Well, you know, everything everything on Capitol Hill is a moment in time. And, you know, we have seen these sort of bipartisan groups get together, especially in the last year and a half. We, you know, we saw it on the infrastructure last summer. Um, we saw it on a, a, a bill to address, you know, sort of industrial policy, competitiveness, semiconductors. Um, you know, in these very discrete areas, there are areas for bipartisan cooperation and and we have seen them come together but it's not on every area and there's just some things that have been just too difficult to work through one of those is immigration um there's a few others but you know this is definitely a reason for hope if you're someone who's like wondering like can our system still work you know you can look at this and say yeah there is reason for hope this can work camp won't be everything everybody wants but 
um, people can get together and do do some some modest things to move the ball forward. Yeah, Mike DeBonis, congressional reporter at the Washington Post. We thank you for joining the show and uh, giving us uh, the updates on gun reform legislation in the Senate. Thank you. Coming up here on Inside Sources, University of Utah President Taylor Randall has signed a compact making six commitments to the community. What are those commitments and why does this matter? Jason Perry from the Hinckley Institute of Politics and the University of Utah joins us coming up next. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 